0: First Peter one twenty two, um, I'm just going to read it before I launch in. Since you have been, uh, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. As you guys know, like today I'm going to be talking about the whole idea of godly attraction, like what it means to really see someone in that pure light, you know, the way that Jesus sees us, and uh, how that. That liberality through love is so much greater than anything we found through the law i 've been like really going through this issue like god 's been laying on my heart really hard these past couple of weeks and and what he 's really shown me just in the past couple of days is that this whole topic of godly attraction seeing people through god 's eyes is really all summed up in one word love you know if you, if you see in first uh, peter twenty two it says you have purified your souls in obeying the truth you know, the Spirit of God has rested in our hearts, purifying our hearts. You know, it's so much more than just purifying your actions. That's not what God intends for us. To be like the Pharisees who are like whitewashed tombs, who, though we're perfect on the outside, on the inside we're corrupt and naked without God. You know, God desires to clothe us further in His love that we can move into liberality with each other as well as with the world. You know, and, um, and understanding that I understand just how vast this topic is. And uh, the stuff that I'm going to say here tonight, some of you are not really ready to hear. And it's going to take you aback. You know, some of you are going to completely disagree with me and thing, the things that I say. And that's okay. You know, and uh, I'm hoping that some of you are going to listen to this and that you're going to see that there's a freedom in Christ that's worth fighting for. You know, it's, it's worth living for. And it's worth pursuing with all of our hearts that we may understand just how God sees the world. And we can see each other in that same light. And it's something that is so beautiful and so enjoyable when it happens in the proper context that it will blow you away. And and, um, I guess this whole thing started for me a couple weeks ago, maybe like a month ago, when I started feeling like these attractions towards certain people in the youth, you know, towards certain girls in the youth. And I thought, you know, like, man, maybe I'm being lustful in this whole idea. You know, the way that I feel about them, they're attractive girls, I'm being lustful, you see, in the way that I'm viewing them. Because I was so weak in my flesh that I believed that every emotion that came about through viewing a girl was wrong. Because I didn't understand the way that God sees things in purity. I didn't understand love. I was still in bondage to pornography and lust, even though I hadn't fallen in a physical way in a very long time. You know? And it was God who revealed to me that there was more that he wanted to do in my heart than to simply get me to the place where I wasn't doing porn and looking and uh, self-gratifying anymore. He wanted to get me to the point where where I could literally love people the way that he does. And that's the goal of every Christian. We want to have the Father's heart. We want to be able to see each other in all purity and to love and see that joy. You know? And uh, the cool thing that we understand about God's love is that God's love is intrinsic. God's love for you is from the inside out. It's not based on anything that you do. God doesn't fall in love with you, you see. He doesn't grow in love with you. He just loves you because one of his attributes is love. That's who he is. And out of the overflow of his greatest attribute, he is able to exemplify and to pour upon us his love in a more pure form than we could ever understand. You know, even when I reject God fully, He loves me fully. You know, but that's a love that is so foreign to us as humanity. You know, even though love is such a, a vast topic, even in the secular world, even in atheistic circles, people seek after love. They want to understand it. They think there's power in it. And even in Harry Potter, wasn't it like the power of the mom's love for him or something? cheesy crap like that. No. Same, no. It was like, you know, you know, it's like not that I've seen all eight movies or whatever. No. <laughs> like uh it's uh <laughs> what's that? Uh. <laughs> no, but it's it's like this this whole thing that we're so obsessed with, but yet no one has understanding of it because they don't know the one who is it. You know, when I understand that, then I understand that God doesn't turn me into someone who could fall in love with people. That's not what He's trying to do in my life. He's not turning me into someone who can grow in love with someone. He's turning me into someone who would be love. That's God's goal for my life. He wants me to become love just as He is love, so that I can do something that in my flesh I could never do, and that is love someone intrinsically for who they are. You know, even if they reject me, even if they hate me, I could still love them purely and desire what is best for them, even if what's best for them doesn't include me. And that is something that is very difficult for us to understand, but it's something that God is going to lay on our hearts very heavy. And if we don't understand this principle, that this is the way that God is leading us, when these feelings, these emotions, which come into your life, start happening, it's going to freak you out just like it freaked me out. Because you're going to look at it and be like, man, I've never felt anything like this before. You know? Because we think that God's love is dispassionate. When we talk about love in church, we think, oh man, I love you, bro. Now I love, I love you, sister. It's just words. It's just so dispassionate and so without emotion. But the love in the Bible is so different. Man, God is passionately in love with us, isn't He? Passionately in love with us. And He laid down His Son on a cross who bled and died, and He called it joy for the bride that He was purchasing. God is passionately and intimately in love with each and every one of us. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that He wants to do for us. And you turn to passages like Zephaniah 3.17, where God is singing love songs to us, literally serenading us, with the outflow of how He feels about His bride. He sees us as beautiful, He sees us as perfect, not as a mass, but as an individual. He comes to you at night and He whispers in your ear, He desires for you personally to know more of who he is. You know, God is passionately in love with us. And so when I understand that, then I understand when God's love becomes manifest to my heart, I will be passionately in love with others. It's not something that's going to be devoid of emotion, it's going to be something that is going to exceed emotion. You know, the passion that is described with God's love so far exceeds the passion that is in the world's love or lust that they're not even worthy to be compared. You can't even put them in the same category because lust is like a firework. It's here one second, it's gone the next. You know, it's passion, it's on fire and then it just goes away. You know, and the longer you stay in that paradigm of lust, the more it will wane. You know, I think we've all been there. You think you know what love is because you say, well, I love that person because they can do something for me. I love that person because of the way they make me feel. I love that person because of the way they look. I love that person because of the things that they say. That's why I love them. That's not love. That's, you're lusting after that person. You desire for them to do for you instead of you to do for them. That's not how God looks at me. God didn't love me because of the great things I could do for him. What could I possibly do for Almighty God that he doesn't already have? He doesn't need my service. He has angels. He has himself who can do anything with a thought. He doesn't need my money. He has everything acquired to him already. He created all things. And all he desires for me is what is best for me. The reason why he wants me to love him is because he understands that the only way I could find true joy and happiness is through loving him. If it could be found any other way, God would glorify that, but it can't. God's joy is in the betterment of us because that's what true and pure love is all about. And God desires for that love to be manifested in our hearts in a way that we can look at each other with no lust. No lust. And only see God's love. You know? But when we don't understand that, when we don't understand that, then we hinder the work of the Holy Spirit inside of our hearts. And I become like the church in Colossians. And having been purified by the Holy Spirit, I seek to make myself perfect through the law. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. That was the words that was being spoken in that church. That maybe if you set up rules and regulations for yourself, then you can understand what purity is. Does that sound like God to you? Does that sound like God who bore the consequences of the law upon himself and died to it that we may have freedom through his blood? That he would be like, hey, you know what? Glorify the law. Even though I put myself to death through the law, glorify that and see freedom through that. Even in Acts, it calls it a yoke of bondage. And yet we proudly wear it because we think in our false humility that that's what righteousness looks like. And someone who is so afraid of their own emotions, someone who is so afraid of what might happen that they're unwilling to step outside their shell. And because of that, their weakness is poured out on other people. You see, I judge others because of my own weakness. I can't see things contextually right, so no one can. I can't see a girl in the right context without lusting after her, so guess what, now nobody can see them in the right context. So I'm going to tell everybody around me, hey, you can't hang out with them. Hey, you can't talk to that girl because, you see, you're going to desire sexual things from her. Isn't that the way the world sounds? We're just animals, right? Man, you can't hang out with a girl that you find physically attractive because inevitably, your animal instincts are going to take over and you're just going to want to have sex with her. That's what's going to happen because you're just an ape. You're just slightly smarter than an ape. That's it. Does that sound like the message of the gospel, though? That we should be preaching the same things... That you can't control yourself, you see. The blood of Christ isn't enough to purify your heart. You know? So you need to lean upon your own willpower. And you need to lean upon a list of rules and regulations. That's what you need to do. And that's what we're going to call freedom. And that's what we're going to call religiosity in our church. That we can think ourselves better, but we're not. You know? And we even judge those who have found a liberality through love. Look at Jesus. Jesus. And people looked at his relationship with women and they were awed by it. And what's this dude doing hanging out with girls by himself? Going to their houses, eating food by himself. You know, what is he doing talking to that woman at the well? What's he doing talking to that Gentile woman with her kids and talking to her about the things of God? You know, what's Paul doing hanging out with all those girls? You know, going to their houses, you know, having fellowship with them, greeting them with a holy kiss. You know, what's that all about? Is he being a little lustful, a little licentious? Now, how do people see Elijah when he shacked up with the widow for a couple of years? You know? Do you think people looked at that and were like, man, you know, you can't be doing that. She's a widow, she's in a vulnerable place. Maybe you're using your power and your authority to manipulate her. But in all these men's minds, the furthest thing from them was lust. Because they understood love and the regenerative power that was in it. And though they were spending time with these women, and though they loved these women. They saw no lust in it. They only saw a desire for their betterment, no matter what it meant. And because of that, they were able to live in something so much more beautiful than law. And, and we're going to talk later about exactly how attractions play out in our lives, how they're going to look. But right now, I want to get into exactly how we get this love to come into our lives. I want you guys to all flip to Galatians 5. Now, in Galatians 5, verse 16, it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who inherit such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now what Paul is saying here is he's saying, you know what you are? You're You're a plant. You see, you're a plant. And what goes into a plant is what comes out of a plant. What you reap that you will sow. So if I want to be a plant that bears the fruit of love, I have to be loved first. In order for me to love others, in order for me to become exemplified in Christ's love, I have to do something that sounds very simple, but it's very difficult for us to do. I have to let God love me. And that could be one of the most difficult things for us to do in our lives because we carry so much shame and guilt from the things that we've done, we carry so much of this idea and projection of who God is based on our earthly representations of Him that we refuse to see Him as the loving and just God that He is. You know, I picture my Father onto God, you see. And so because of that, I think that when I do for God, God does for me. But when I stop doing for God, God stops doing for me. And some of you have much worse representations of God in your life, of who your Father is but you don't understand how much God loves you, how much He cherishes you. And because of that, when He tries to love you, you reject it. You reject it. You say, I don't, I'm not worthy, God. And you think that that's humility, but it's not. It's a rejection of God's blessing in your life because He wants to do something more for you, but you tell Him no. It's not humility, it's shame. It's not blessing, it's choosing the curse. You understand? In order for me to have love manifested in my life, I have to simply be still and know that He is God. I have to get on my knees before the throne of grace and I have to allow Him to simply love me in the way that only He can love me. And that is really tough for us guys to do. And it's really tough for girls to do. It's tough for guys to do because we're very proud. And we don't like the idea of being meek and humble. We don't like the idea of being like, God, I just want you to love on me. You know, it seems very feminine, you know, so we're just like, eh, it's kind of gay, so I'm not going to do that. Girls have a bigger problem doing it because they, again, have this negative self-image around them, that they never think they're good enough. And it's so hard for you guys to hear that you are good enough. Not because of the things that you see in yourself, but because of everything that God sees in you, you see. He knit you together in the womb, he formed every facet of your being, and he loved you intrinsically before there was a day in your book. And he will continue to love you till the day that you die and for eternity past. But until you understand that, how can you know how to love somebody else if you can't first be loved? How can I understand what love is if I can't allow God to pour out that blessing in my own heart? No, I'm going to be like a bad salesman who doesn't actually believe in the product. But God desires more for me than that. He desires more for you than that. So he tells you to set aside your false humility, to cast your cares upon him, to allow him to take your grief and your sorrow, to allow him to take your shame and your inadequacies upon himself, as he already bore them 2,000 years ago. You know, it's on, in Isaiah 53, it talks about that, right? And a man of sorrow is acquainted with grief. He bore our iniquities and our shame upon himself. And it's already done. God loves you purely now. And he has breathed into your life and reestablished his presence in your heart. How much more intimate with you can he get? He is one with you now. And he will never break that bond. Romans 8, he says, man, you're in the palm of my hand. Neither powers nor principalities nor anything in this world can ever pluck you from it. He will never let you go. He will never leave you nor forsake you. These are all amazing promises that we hear in church. But then when it comes in the quiet times of my life, especially when I fail, I don't believe it especially when I'm on a streak of failures, like I was on last month. You know, just constantly messing up, constantly seeing things in the wrong context, constantly not trusting in Him, though He's been so good to me. You know, I don't actually trust that God has what's best in mind for me, because of the way I feel like I've let Him down. You know, but it was during that time where God poured out His love for me even more. He showed me even more radically just how much He loves me. Why? Sometimes God leads us to places of failure so that I can understand what his love is all about. Sometimes he'll lead you to a point in your life where you're going to mess up big time. Where you're going to see nothing but your failure for a little bit. And the reason why he does it is because he wants you to see how much he loves you. That he's going to pour out his love for you even more in your times of despair than when you were doing things right. Because he wants you to see it's not based on what you do for me. It's not, that's not what this is about. My love for you is about you. And your betterment. So I will pour out blessings and mercies upon you in more great ways than you could ever understand. And out of you will flow love like you wouldn't understand. You will overflow with the goodness that I will give unto you. And those are the promises that He gives to us. We need to just grab a hold of them. We need to accept them. You know, but this is some of the hardest things that we're ever gonna have to do as Christians. Because it's not just something I could do once at an altar call. Something I have to do every day of my life to see myself through his eyes. Not proud, not seeing myself through my own eyes thinking I'm better than I am, but seeing myself through humility through the eyes of my Father. And that's what changes things in my life. That's what enables me to move further. And when that begins to happen, the fruit of the Spirit is love. When that starts to happen, you become literally a love tree. Love just comes out of you. You, know, you become embodiment of love. And the more you understand the love of God, the more it will flow from you, naturally. It's not something you have to force. It's not something you have to focus on and be like, man, I really want to love this person, so I'm just going to focus on their good attributes, and then I'll love them. It's not me just verbally telling you, hey, I love you. Man, love is something that just happens internally and flows out of you. It's something that you look at the root at someone. You look at their very base in their being, and you understand just you understand. I love that person. And I love that person. I don't desire anything from them. I desire just to do for them. Not in an obsessive way. In a way that I desire, man, I want to be with that person. But if that person doesn't want to be with me, I'm okay with that. Man, I still have a compassion and a burden that, that just blesses me for this person. You know, I want to pour out my love upon them in any way that I can, even when they reject me. Kind of sounds like God's love for us, Right? And that's what's going to happen in your life. Now, the way it's going to form, it's going to form naturally. And you have to understand that when I say you're going to become loved, you're not going to love everyone the same. That's not what's going to happen in your life. You're going to love people differently, very differently. You know, you're going to have different attractions for different people. You know, and when I say attraction, I want you guys to understand I and mean, we've been talking about this context of purity, this context of love, to kind of rein you guys in. When I'm talking about attraction, I'm not talking about something sexual. That's not at all what I'm bringing up right here. And we will talk about that in a little bit, the idea of marital attraction, but it's, it's only because that's a natural outflow of what's going to happen. That's not the basis of what we're talking about. We're simply talking about love. You know, and what's going to happen is you're going to start seeing people and you're going to start being attracted to them, attracted to being around them, attracted to listening to their problems and caring, having compassion about them, to the point where you can pray for them as you pray for yourself. Then when you do a good to them, it's like doing a good to yourself. It's not a burden for me to bless you. It's not something that I want something in return. I don't do good for you because I'm trying to add up brownie points and then later I'm going to call in a favor. Be like, hey, remember all those good things I did for you? Man, remember all those things I did for you? Now you really got to do for me. That's not love. Man, it's going to be such a blessing because you're going to see that person love your neighbor as yourself, right? You're going to see him as yourself. So when you do a good thing to them, it blesses you because it's like you just bless yourself. And when you buy them food, it's like, man, I just bought myself a meal. That's awesome. You know you're going to be pumped. When you give them a ride, it's like, oh man, I just gave myself a ride, you know? It's going to be something cool. It's not going to be something that you're going to look down upon. It's not going to be something you you seek more. You have all you need because you love them. You know? But attractions develop in different ways. I'm going to be attracted to my dad in a different way than I'm going to be attracted to my sister. See? I have a love for my dad that's going to be unique. I'm going to love him as a father. I will love no one else the same way I love my father. I will love no one else the same way I love my brother. I only have one. Now I'm going to love no one else the way I love my mother. And in the same way, it's going to work out in the body, because we have become a family. And in 1 John, it talks about that, right? Man, through the blood of Christ, we become one. We become a family. We have fellowship through the blood, Right? And because of that, I'm going to have different attractions to each one of you guys. They're going to be different. I'm going to see you guys as unique. I'm not going to love you collectively. I'm going to love each one of you uniquely in my own way, you know? And you're going to have attractions that are going to differ from people. There are going to be people in your life that you're like, man, I just really like hanging around that dude, you know? That guy, me and him, man, we're on like the same wavelength. And I just love spending time with him. I love talking to him. There are going to be other people in your life that you're going to be like, man, you know, I, I love that person. You know what? We don't really get along on a lot of issues. That's okay. You know? We hang out, we spend time together, but there's not that deep, affectionate attraction that I have for this other person. You know? And the thing you need to understand is that this love does not know gender bias. And we put inside of ourselves this idea that we will never be rectified. And me, as a person who has struggled with lust for so long in my life, I put that upon myself. I will never be rectified to see a girl in the right context. So it's best if I don't even try. For my sake. And for her sake. See, it's false humility. Dressed up in righteousness. But what if I actually lived that way? What if I actually saw things in that way? I would never understand what lust and love are. I would never understand the difference. Ever in my life. So even when I'm pursuing the idea of marital attraction, I'm always going to be thinking, well, maybe this girl though. You know, Or you girls, man, maybe that guy. But that guy's kind of good looking. But I more click with that guy. You know, you're gonna be, it's almost like you're picking and choosing from a grocery store. You know, you'd be like, ah, I don't know. And even when you get married, you still won't know. And even when you're dating that person, you're still going to be like, well, you know, maybe this person, you're going to be flirtatious with other people. And you're going to think that your flirtatiousness is harmless. But in reality, in the back of your head, what you're thinking is, well, if this relationship doesn't work out, I have this person who really digs me. You know, And you're being foolish, you see, because you don't understand the difference between love and lust. You've never fought your flesh. And you can't fight your flesh if you lock yourself in a box. And you say, I'm never going to pursue any type of liberality through Christ. I'm just going to stay in my own little world. And I'm going to hang around other dudes. And that's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm never going to understand this. This important, important principle, and it's going to plague me for the rest of my life. And then how am I going to look at my wife? Because my weakness, I'm going to project upon her. So I think, well, I don't like the fact that she's talking to that guy. And she's really hanging out with that dude a lot. So jealousies and contentions are going to start springing up in my heart because I haven't let her go. You see, I don't really know how to love her. So I'm not willing to let her go to God. I want to set myself up as an idol in her life because I desire to be loved more than I desire for her to love God. And it actually is going to produce jealousy between me and God. Because I'm going to see her spending time with God and be like, well, why isn't she spending that time with me? That's how sick this sin, this disease becomes in our heart. And if we never deal with it, it will get stronger and stronger and stronger until it will destroy every relationship in your life. And, or you can give it to God and understand that there's something so much better in Him. Then all of a sudden, I'm seeing things purely and because I talk to my wife about it, I know she sees things purely. So because of the liberality that has come into my life, I can have a liberality in knowing that she sees things in the same context. So it blesses me when they go out and they talk to other guys and to other girls and they share the love of God with them. Because you see, what it, what it really is at its core, it's God loving someone through you. It's God loving someone through you. And what does God love more than anything else? He loves himself. God is a triune being. The Father perfectly loves the Son, the Son perfectly loves the Father, the Holy Spirit perfectly loves the Father, and the Father perfectly loves the Holy Spirit. They all perfectly love each other in purity and wholeness. God is the only being that could selflessly love himself perfectly and call it good. So, God, in his nature of love, is able to reside inside of my heart and love himself and other people. So, I'm able to look at someone else and be like, man, I really love the presence of God in them. I'm able to be attracted to that presence of Jesus Christ residing in that person's heart, and I'm able to have a greater fellowship with them because just as Jesus and God are one, John 17, right? I have become one with him, and so I have become one with all of you. You see, we are one in a body. But if I don't understand that, then I miss out on the the multitude of God's blessings. Man, I have separated myself from the greatest blessing, and that is the body itself. And now I've secluded myself to just God. Understand, I'm missing out on the true love that is in Jesus Christ. And do I think that heaven is going to be an affectionate, loving place? I'd sure love to believe so. And a place where we can live with each other for eternity and no impurities anymore, that I don't have to worry about any way that anyone is viewing anything. It's all impurity in heaven. And we get to be around each other for the rest of eternity. We get to abide in each other and abide in Christ through love and joy and peace. That's what heaven's going to be like. Why are we not trying to move that direction now and calling it righteousness? You know? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't harmonize with the Word of God. And yet again, there are a lot of people who would fully disagree with everything that I'm saying right now. They would look at me and they would say, you're being lustful. You're just too foolish to understand it. You're stumbling yourself and others because you're too dumb to realize what you're doing but I don't see that in the Word. If I did, I would have to recede back to the way I thought a month ago. And if it wasn't for the fact that God laid this truth in my heart in such a, ma- such a huge way, that He literally brought me to my knees of realizing how wrong I was through the Word, then I would have still lived the same way that they did, upon the law. Now, like I said, every attraction is going to be different. Every attraction is going to be different, but it's all going to carry the same semblance of love through purity. I'm going to be able to see things the way that God does. you know. Like I said, God loves you purely. God loves you intimately. But when I read passages like in Ezekiel 16, where, man, what an intimate and passionate passage, right? God seeing his wife, Israel, exemplified, personified in a person, a woman. And he, he talks about her growing up. And he talks about her hair developing and her body developing. Very intimate terms. And, and he looks at her and he is attracted to her in a beautiful way. Now, am I really going to look at God and say, God, you're being lustful towards us? Am I really going to put that trip on God and say, God, you don't see things right. You see, you're being lustful. No. Absolutely not. I would never say that to God. And yet, I think that because even though God calls me to be pure as he is pure, I think that he can't make me pure. I don't think I could see things the way that he does. See, so if I see a girl and I'm like, well, I'm physically attracted to her and I start looking at her life and I start saying, man, she's got a love for Jesus and I'm attracted to that and I long to be around her, I instantly equate that with sexual desire because I don't understand the difference between lust and love because I've never fought my flesh because I don't get it. You know? And again, this is something that's going to plague me for the rest of my life. I'm not going to see things right. She's not going to see things right. You know? And so, what I'm trying to get at here is that when God desires for us to have this type of relationship that I'm talking about, He'll develop it naturally. There is a marital attraction. There is one person that God intends for each one of us. One specific one. The words good enough don't cross God's mind ever. You like well, you know, they, they kind of match up, you know? And he puts you inside of a profile with all your likes and your dislikes and your turn-offs and your turn-ons. He's like, they're compatible. And he links them together. That's what he does. God sees the perfect person for you. He knows their name. He knows where they're at. He knows everything about them. And he knows when you're going to meet them. And he knows how your relationship's going to go all the way into eternity. He's not playing dice with your life, you see. But I can reject God's perfect purpose for my life in response to my own selfishness and impatience in what he's trying to do in me. Because God wants what's best for me, but I settle for what's kind of good. You see? I tell God I'm ready. So I lust after the marital relationship like I would lust after a woman. And so I pursue the relationship instead of pursuing God. And because of that, I stumble both me and the girl that I'm with. Because I didn't wait on what God was trying to do. You see? When God is developing this attraction in your life, it's going to be something that's progressive. It's not going to be something that happens instantaneously. It's going to be something that happens over time, you see. You're going to first love that person as a sister in all purity. Or you girls, you're going to love him as a brother in all purity. And then he's going to develop that love in a very intimate way until you see that person uniquely. They're going to stand alone. See, you're going to understand. It's going to overwhelm you, You see. And it's not going to be something that you have to question, like, well, I don't know if this is really it. it could be, it's going to be so overwhelming that there will be no question in your mind what's happening. Because in the relationship of husband and wife is the purest form of God's love for us. That is the purest form. So when I understand that, I understand that when it starts to develop in my life, it's going to be something radical. It's going to be something that is so passionate and so beyond my understanding that it's going to literally floor me. Because I'm not going to understand what's going on in my life. I'd be like, man, I've never felt this way before. You know, because I've ascribed emotionality to the world, I think I'm being wrong. But I'm not, because the passion that is in God's love is better than the passion that's in lust. It's greater, in all ways, you see. And so, if I'm patient upon God to wait for him to do this thing, then he will lead me to a wife. Kind of like Adam, right? Adam. Perfectly content in God. Never ask for a wife. Never ask for anything. Perfectly content in the love of Jesus Christ, walking with Him in the cool of the day, enjoying intimacy with His Father and personal communion with Him. Then God saw that He should have a wife and He brought Eve to Adam. God is looking at your life right now and He understands what you need and when you need it. Be content and perfect in Him, lacking nothing, and then God will lead you to somebody He wants you to be with. He's going to see Not that you need it, but he wants to bless you, you see. It's a gift. It's not something to be rejected, and it's not something to be sought after. It's something to just be accepted. You know, because we make two equal and opposite mistakes. And I can speak about this because I've made both of them in my life in very major ways. The first mistake I made was I lusted after the relationship. I lusted after the relationship. So I thought that I told God, I'm ready, God. I'm ready. You don't have to tell me. I'll tell you. Yeah, I'm good. Okay? So I'm going to go seek a wife. So I did that for myself. I ended up with this girl. And even though the longer I spent time with her, the more I was like, I see her kind of as a sister in Christ. You see? Because this marital relationship, this marital attraction, it's not something that's logical. It's not something that's going to fit into your mind and be like, man, this is all the reasons why it makes sense. Okay? You're not going to be able to logic your way into this one. Because I was with this girl, and though I didn't feel this passion for her, I thought she was the one, simply because I thought love was a choice. And you see, it's devoid of emotion because it's a choice, just like God's love is a choice. And so even though I didn't feel anything for her, I continued to pursue the relationship, pretending like nothing was wrong. And you know what? If she wouldn't have broke up with me, I would have probably married her, just simply out of stubbornness and foolishness. You know, because I was so dumb, I couldn't see the truth that was right in front of me. She's not the one that God intended for me. Not because there was anything wrong with her, but because there was something wrong with the fact that God hadn't intended her for me. You know, and if you're impatient, you're going to end up with someone that God, the more you're going to spend time with them, the more God is going to solidify in your heart, this person is nothing more than a brother or a sister in Christ. Because the longer I spend time with someone, if I really trust that God is the one giving me my attractions, I understand that God's going to develop them in his timing and in his way, right? So if I understand that, the longer I spend time with someone, the more he's going to solidify what this relationship means, as long as I'm moving in the context of love. If I'm not, then anything goes. But if I am, then he's going to develop it the way that he wants. And if he really has intended me for one specific woman do I really think he's going to develop a marital attraction for me for ten girls? Like, well, I don't know, God. You know, I feel the same way about ten different girls. Maybe I'm to be a polygamist, you know? Isn't that stupid to even think about? You know? And if there's even a question in your head, well, you know, I feel the same way about multiple different people, then you don't have the marital attraction to any of them. You don't understand what I'm talking about. Okay? And you need to be patient for when that time comes. If you feel the same way about multiple people, you don't understand what I'm talking about. When it happens, it will be a singularity. It will be unique. You will be able to understand it. Okay? But as God moves in this way, He is going to show you multiple and multiple blessings as you are there for that person, as they are there for you. Your relationship with them, you should be able to what? Test the fruits, right? That's what Galatians is talking about, man. If you sow in the flesh, you're going to reap out of the flesh. So if I'm sowing into the flesh and this relationship really is my lustful nature moving in, then guess what's going to come out of it? Lust, jealousy, pride, envy. And I'm always going to be looking at her like, man, why isn't she talking to me? Why is she talking to that guy? Does she like him more than me? Man, what's happening there? You know? Man, I really didn't talk to her the right way today. You know, I'm always going to be second-guessing myself. I'm always going to be looking within because it's made out of the flesh. Because I controlled it. But if it's out of God, then the fruit of the Spirit will become manifest. That's how I know it's from God. I could test it. Well, is this producing a greater love for God or not? Is this moving me closer to Jesus Christ or is it moving me further away? Is it developing love in a pure sense or is it developing lust more? You understand? And this plays across every attraction you're going to have. Every attraction you're going to have in your life. Friend girlfriend, whatever, you can, you got to test the fruit. Is it from God, or is this attraction from me? Am I moving in lust, or am I moving in love? You always have to weigh these things in your heart. Because if you're moving in lust, then all you're doing is bringing greater pain to yourself. You know, So if you test it, and you realize I am moving in lust, then you need to break away. But I didn't do that. You see? I didn't understand. So I kept pursuing it. And thank God she broke up with me. So then I can move away from that. You know, and I'm thankful for that, even though at the time it really sucked. Because I'm so prideful, I'm like, oh man, she rejected me. You know, I can't believe she did that you know, because of how proud I am. You know, I can't see that in myself because I'm so proud. The other mistake that we can make, well, it actually plays into this one, is the same thing happens. I'm with this girl and I'm seeing that there's none of that passion through love and purity. So I turn to what I do know, passion through lust, you see. So I'm with this girl, I can't find passion through purity, so I turn to what I know and I pursue physical contact. Like, well, I can force passion to occur, you see, by becoming more physically intimate with her. Maybe by pushing up the day in which we become physically intimate with each other. Maybe by me trying to look at her in a lustful way and see her in sexual context. So I'm going to force myself to lust after her. I'm going to be like, man, you know, she looks good, right? I'm going to start looking at her body. And that's what I'm going to be attracted to now, her body, her appearance. Because I've moved out of the paradigm of love and I've moved in the paradigm of lust. And that will bring no end to condemnation in your life. It will bring no end to troubles in your life. Because lust never is satisfied. Never, ever, ever. So the more you move in the paradigm of lust, the more you're going to desire it in your heart. You see, you're going to not be satisfied with the person you're with. You're going to be satisfied with what else is out there. That's a question you're always going to ask yourself. Well, what else is out there? And guess what? She may be pretty now, but what happens when she gets pregnant? You know? And what happens, girls, when the dude gets a little older? Starts to sag a little bit, you know? What happens then? Is your love based on his appearance? Or is it based on something deeper, better? That I mean it's such a blessing to see like older couples who are like, you know, this old couple that's just like, Man, my wife's the most beautiful woman on the earth and in my flesh I instantly think, no she's not. You know, like you know, I just think that in my flesh, but you know, like I was mean, wrong, but you know, like but it's so cool to see that he legitimately does think she's the most beautiful woman on the earth. Why? Because he saw her through love, you see. He loves her. He's attracted to her. She's become his standard of beauty. Man, isn't that a cool thing? Man, now every single person on the planet has to measure up to her because she is the most beautiful woman on the planet. (laughs) And she never... It's it's something that's so cool and so intimate and so personal and so beautiful, you see. And that even though I'm going to run into people, you know, you're going to run into people more attractive than your spouse. But it's going to be okay because you have already loved your spouse in such an intimate way. That it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You see your spouse as truly the most attractive person in the world because you're attracted to so much more than just their body. But if I move in lust, I lose that. I lose that gift. If I move in lust, I lose love. That's the sacrifice I make. And lust will continue to wane and wane and wane and wane and wane until there's nothing left but emptiness. And then you're basically a roommate with this woman after so many years, and God willing, you guys will make it to the grave together even though there's no passion or intimacy in there at all. You know, is that what we want? And is that the relationship that I want to aspire to as a person of God? Something that's supposed to exemplify perfectly the love that God has for us? Is that what people are seeing when they look at marriages within the church? Well, I guess God really isn't that into me because that dude really isn't that into his wife. You know, He thinks it's a bummer to hang out with her. And how sad is that? Man, or do I look at people in the church and I'm like, man, God loves me like that? That's so cool. God wants to be around me like that? And and as this marital attraction develops in your life, it's going to make you more and more excited about the love of God because you're going you're gonna to understand how he sees you. God just simply wants to be around you. You understand? Because this, this marital attraction is not sexual at all. It's pure. All you're going to do is you're going to look at that person and be like, man, I just want to spend all the time around that person. I want to give everything to them. You see, I want to take their burdens upon myself. I want to have compassion for them in a pure way. I want to love them more and more each day. Not in an obsessive way, not in a possessive way, but in a simply loving way. And you're going to understand that God looks at you the same way. He just says, man, even though you're faulted, even though you're messed up, I just want to be around you. I just want to have time with you. I just want to love you more, and I want to show you how much more I love you. I want to bless you. I want to bear your burdens. And I want to tell you that you're good enough, even though you don't feel like you are. I want to whisper into your ear at night and show you things in my word that are just specific to you. And that's how God looks at us. And the equal and opposite mistake that we make kind of plays into that, and that is we believe that lust is the only passionate thing in the world. You see, one mistake we make is that love is passionless. The other mistake we make is that love is passionful, but it's only through lust. So I began looking at movies, and I began looking at music, and I began looking at the way that everyone around me carries themselves and how they pursue the marital relationship. And so I think that it's only about emotion. You see, I feel like I'm in love with this person. You know, And because I feel this way, then that must mean that God has led me to them. You see, because it 's just the feeling is so strong, and but do you really know that that feeling is from God, or even if it is from God? how do you know that it 's really the timing that he wants to do? Maybe because love is patient, maybe he wants you to wait. you know again, if it 's from god it 's going to exemplify his attributes in your life, and but if it 's not, then all you 're going to be doing is seeking love through lust, and so. We're going to look at these relationships where we're going to be like, man, I feel this way towards this person, so I'm going to move this way towards this person. But what happens when that emotion leaves you, which it will? It will. There's going to be times in your relationship where you're going to be like, man, I really don't feel that great about this person. You know? This person, since they're flesh and blood, no matter how great they seem on the outside, will let you down in major ways. Ways that you can't even conceive of right now. They will fail you. And what happens when that happens and your love for them is based on the way you feel about them, then instead of being that comfort and that strength to them when they fall on their face, you're going to reject them too. And you're going to do more damage to them than anything else ever could because their love for you was as such. And you not believing in your spouse is going to be the most detrimental thing that's ever going to happen in their life. And you're going to pull away because you didn't actually love them. You lusted after them. You idolize them, even above God. And because of that, when they failed, you thought that you failed, and your marriage failed, and you're going to leave them. And I see it happen every day. And it's the saddest thing in the world. Because they didn't see things right. They didn't move in love. and So God intends for our relationships to be passionful, but He desires for them to have context context of love. The passion that is derived from our relationship should be pure out of love, not out of anything else. see? And a a cool passage I like to read about this whole idea of attraction, and I'm hoping that Katie's going to go over it in a little more detail, but I kind of just want to touch on it. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. I mean, talking about the passion of love through purity, I mean, this book is all about it. It's littered with it. It's literally saturated in passion for love Through a godly context. And it's so cool. All right. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse Uh, 2. This is the Shulamite talking, which is the um, soon to be bride of Solomon. Let him kiss me with kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Does that sound like passionate love to you? Sounds pretty passionate, right? But she's not just saying, like, hey, you know, he's kind of a good guy. You know, there's certain things I like about him, but no, she's in love with this guy. She loves everything about him. The first thing she says is a physical attraction, right? I find him physically attractive. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You are to find your spouse physically attractive and appealing to you. Some Christians think that, it's like, well, it's, it's righteous for me to say I don't care about the way that the girl is that I that I end up with. You see, it's, it's okay for me if she's completely ugly, you know? Well, what are you saying? You know, you're going to have to look at her for the rest of your life. I'd hope that she's kind of attracted to you. And if she's not attracted to you at all, then you're not doing her any favors by pretending like she is, you know? God, when he develops that love for you, you're going to see her as a very attractive person. He's going to develop it in the right way. Not in a lustful way where you're lusting after her body, but you see her as beautiful as unto the glory of God. You see, you're gonna be like, man, God, you made something so beautiful. You made something so perfect. You know? You made something so good. I love you. It's all gonna point me towards God. And it was, she's not only saying that she loves him for who he is, but she loves him for how he loves her. Your love is better than one. Your love is the greatest joy in my life. I not only love loving you, but I love it when you love me in return. It's this mutual relationship. Why? To exemplify the relationship between me and God. I love God because he first loved me. Right? I'm able to understand love because love was first poured out upon my heart by my Father. You know, so I, I want to enjoy loving someone as they love me in return. Not that the love is dependent upon these things. My love for them, like I said, it's intrinsic because it's from God. It's not dependent on these things, but these things are like icing on the cake. They're like things that make the gift so much better and they develop the marital attraction in so much more of a pure way when these things are present. And she says something really cool. Because of the fragrance of your ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Your name is like a pleasant aroma. It's ointment poured forth, you see. Man, the name in, in Israel times, like it wasn't just, yeah, I'm going to name him John because my dad's name was John and that's why. It was like you named someone because of an attribute about them. Man, your name in ancient Israel was something that described you. Notice how much focus and emphasis God puts on his name in the Old Testament. Why? Because it was culturally significant to the people. Names were valuable. So what she's saying is she's not only attracted to the way he looks, she's not only attracted to the way he loves her and the way he makes her feel. She's attracted to everything about this guy. Everything that makes him him is attractive to her. You see, his love for God, that's attractive to her. The way that he deals with things, that's attractive to her. Man, the way that he deals with other people, that's attractive to her. Man, his work ethic and the way that he talks, the way that he sings the way or doesn't sing or the way everything that he does has become attractive because my love is intrinsic in that person. Everything about them has become attractive to me. Not that you're blinded to their faults. See, love doesn't blind you to faults. It actually puts them forth even more. And you really love someone, you're going to really see their faults. But you're going to love them in spite of their faults. Kind of like God. He sees every aspect and wickedness in my heart and He loves me the same. He wants to love me even more. And His love for me is so great that He wants to deal with these problems because He wants me to understand betterment through Him. So as I love somebody, I'm going to see their faults and their flaws, but I'm going to desire for them to deal with those faults and flaws so that they could have better joy. It's not about me. I don't want them to deal with faults and flaws that bug me. I want them to deal with faults and flaws in their life that are going to be detrimental to them because I love them. Everything becomes attractive. It's passionate. It's personal. It's intimate. It's beautiful. Just like God's love for us. You know? And uh, I guess one thing that I kind of want to end with this whole idea of liberality. And I hope you guys are just kind of like wrestling with this whole idea right now. And Again, I understand that there are some people in this room and I'm there too. You know, even though I'm laying this out for you about how, man, we're supposed to live in purity and how we're supposed to contextualize all relationships and see everything in love. And though I think a girl is physically attractive, I'm not going to lust after her because I love her. And, and you girls, the same thing. Even though I'm saying these things, does that mean that I always do it? No, I'm just reading to you what's in the Word you see i'm just reading you the uncompromising word of god cuz god never compromises so even though i'm not there yet it's beautiful to me because god's showing me where he's leading me you see he'll show me something beautiful and even though i'm not there he says that's fine i love you right where you're at but i'm going to lead you there man, and it reminds me of man we started this this study in 1st peter 22 where peter was talking about love and how it's perfect, and how it's agape, God's love. But Peter didn't always understand love, did he? And after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, do you remember what the conversation was like when he met Jesus again? Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, understanding, he thought he knew what love was. He thought he knew everything about agape until he saw it exemplified in Christ. That even though he rejected Christ three times with swearing, Jesus still died for him and forgave him completely holding no grudges whatsoever. So Peter was like, man, I understand love, and then that happened, he's like, I know nothing about love. So Jesus asked him, Peter, do you agape love me? And you have to read in the Greek to get this, but it's really cool. He says, do you agape love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you, but he uses a lesser word. He uses phileo, brotherly love. He's saying, God, Jesus, I thought I did. I thought I agape loved you, but apparently I don't. You know? And in my life, I could, I could relate to Peter, I thought I knew what Agape love was. And then these things started happening in my life and I understand that I know nothing about what Agape love is. Even in the amazing things that God has shown me in the last month, I still am so far away from fully understanding what this is all about. I'm so far away from it. And then Peter said, You know, feed my I mean Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Then he asked him a second time, Do you do you Agape love me? And Peter said, No, I you know I I love you, God. Then the third time Jesus asks him, Jesus says, Do you Phileo love me, Peter? In other words, Jesus is saying, You know what? I've given you a roadmap, Peter. I'm leading you towards agape. But if you're at Phileo, I'm going to meet you at Phileo. I'm going to love you at Phileo. Though you can't love me the way I love you, I'm going to love you agape. And so if you're in this room, like me, and you're hearing all these things and you're understanding, I'm not there yet, it's okay. It's okay, God's going to lead you there through the power of His Holy Spirit and through the blood that He has shed for you. Nothing is impossible. Even mountains fall down before us if that is what God needs to happen for His work to get accomplished. He will work in your life to get you to this place. One last thing I want to leave you guys with before we let Amber come back up, and I think that's awesome because I love that song. And the songs that you guys sang before this is just, they bless me so much because I've been thinking about God's love and it's been overwhelming me. And I'm, glad that i got a chance to share it with you guys it was like bubbling up within me and i pretty much shared it with all you guys anyway like <laughs> those who were unfortunate to hang out with me in the last couple of weeks <laughs> but uh, uh one thing i want to leave you guys with it's, it's kind of like a cautious warning it's found in galatians 5 verse 13 for you brethren have been called to liberty only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another now, I'm telling you guys that God has set you free from all things, that we could live in a liberality without the law. And that's true. It is true. But what Paul is saying here is use precaution in your life. In other words, if you're really fighting your flesh, because that's the only way that this works, by the way. This godly attraction that I'm talking about, it only works if you're willing to stand up and fight your flesh. If you're not willing to stand up and fight, this will never work for you. You will never be able to enjoy this. You will always be on the outside looking in. But if you're willing to stand up and fight your flesh, this becomes applicable to you. What he's saying is you need to judge yourself where you're at. Okay. If I'm at a place, and it's not wrong to be at this place, where I am so jacked up on lust that I literally cannot differentiate, even though I'm listening to all this, even though I'm kind of understanding it, I cannot differentiate the difference between lust and love. And every single time I hang around this girl, even though I want so badly to see her in a pure way, I'm just lusting after her. Maybe I need to take a step back. You know, if I'm lusting after her, you see. And also, we need to take into account what other people think. And we need to do that in, in the best possible way. We need to use discernment. Okay, so even though it's not stumbling for me to do certain things, maybe it's stumbling for other people. And there are certain things that I'm just not going to compromise on. You know, if some people are like, hey, you can't hang out with Amber or Ellie or Anisa or Emma in that way anymore because, you see, you guys are getting too close, I'm going to put my foot down on that. I'm not going to listen. Because I'm not going to disobey what God has told me to do to become one with the body and to enjoy fellowship and love through His perfect love when it's moving me towards greater purity just because you feel uncomfortable. But there are certain things I would listen to. Like, for instance, it would be wrong for me to take a single one of you girls and just bring you into a back room and close the door. It would be wrong for me to do that. Not because it would stumble me, per se, or it would stumble you, per se, But it might be stumbling to other people who saw me do that. So out of love for them, I won't. So there should be a level of discretion in our lives. But it's not to be something, again, to use as a yoke of bondage. It's something to be used in discernment. So I hope that kind of makes sense in a way. So um, I think I'm going to end there. But one last thing I'm going (laughs) to add to end after this last sentence. We're just going to, like a paragraph after that, like maybe a couple, you guys got an hour, right? No, like, uh, one last thing is like, we should never be afraid of these attractions. This should never be something that you fear, whether it's marital, brother, sister, whatever the attraction is that's developing in your heart, pursue it. Pursue it. Don't be afraid of it and take a step back because you're unwilling to deal with it. And if it really is of God, it should be something that you should desire God to develop. And the only way God can develop it is if you allow him to. And he can't do it if you separate yourself. He can only do it if you engage. You understand? And if I really understand the difference between marital attraction and sisterly and brotherly attraction, then I'm never going to be afraid of another attraction occurring between me and some of the girls that I've become so close with. Because I know it's not going to happen. I know that the more time I spend in love with them, the more I'm going to love them in a pure way. And my love for them should grow every single day. Love is something that always grows and becomes more powerful. Alright? So, now I'm done.